This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, and it comes from 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 16, going through chapter 14, verse 23. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website, that's Radio Bible Class with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch us on iTunes. Search over there under the podcast section for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we're going to pick back up. Think of it almost as a part two. We saw last week about the slow fall of Saul. We've watched him rise to become the king. And now we saw him plateau and start his fall, his downward slide. You know, this week's message really focuses on Saul's son, Jonathan. But last week we saw his father act out of fear, out of someone that should have finished well, but foolishly acted out of fear. Because Saul acted out of fear, he loses his kingship. God speaks through Samuel to say that, his lineage as king was over, that he already had somebody that was a man after his own heart. And we know today that was David. But as I said last week, it's a shame because Jonathan would have made a great king. And even the description of man after God's own heart could have probably be applied to Jonathan as well. Jonathan was bold, he was daring, and he was full of faith in God. As I studied this section, it reminded me of a movie that I saw one time called Hacksaw Ridge. You know, it's about this young man that wants to help with the war, but he doesn't want to kill anybody. He wanted to be a medic and help the wounded. Now, this movie, Hacksaw Ridge, is based on a true story. It's hard to believe that someone would want to go into war without a gun to protect themselves. But that's what Private Doss does. In the movie, he had to fight for his ability just to do that. He was almost sent to military prison because he wouldn't touch the gun during his training. It goes as far as that he has to go to a court-martial, and there is where he's granted to be a medic and to go into battle without a gun. The reason the movie's called Hacksaw Ridge is because in the movie, they have to climb up this ridge. They have to climb up this rope ladder that they've created to fight the enemy. Private Dawson, in this movie is up there and the people around him are getting slaughtered. They're getting killed to the point where the soldiers retreat and return down the ladder to their camp, but not Private Dawson. He stays up the ridge all night helping the wounded and he drags the wounded back to the cliff one by one and lowers the wounded down the cliff with a rope. 
And he does this even at the threat of his own life being taken by the enemy. Private Doss was dedicated to what he went there. Just like the men who got wounded and were fighting and they didn't want to lose that battle. He didn't want to let a single man die. And he sat there and he fought hard against the odds. I wonder how many times when we face a, a battle that seems outnumbered and just against all odds that we are willing to go ahead and fight the fight. Now today we see in this section of the Bible that Again, Jonathan is willing to go against the odds. He's willing to make a stand and in the faith of what God has given him. And he knows with God's blessing that he can overcome the odds. Today, you may have shown up listening to me. And maybe you're facing some odd. Maybe it's a financial battle that just seems too big. Maybe it's a health. Maybe it's cancer or some heart problem. Maybe it's a back problem. A problem that just seems like it won't go away. You just hurt and hurt and hurt. Whatever the problem is that you face today, let me let you know that God is with you and he's there to help you. Even when you seem between a rock and a hard place, God is there to help you make it through. Now, like I said, Saul, you know, is the king at the time and he's just made the major mistake. He didn't wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice before going into battle. He did it himself. His men were quaking in fear. They were beginning to scatter. They were beginning to run and hide in the cliffs and the rocks. And so he couldn't wait, he thought, any longer. So Saul offered the sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to offer. That was a major mistake on the part of Saul. And as a result of it, Samuel tells Saul that you've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God that he gave to you. And if you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. And to make things worse, now the army of Israel finds themselves without weapons. The only people that have weapons that can go into battle for the nation of Israel is Saul and his son, Jonathan. So look with me real quick over at 1 Samuel 13, and we'll start in verse 16. 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting verse 16, I'll be reading out of the ESV. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash, and raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned towards Ophrah, the land of Shaul, another company turned towards Beth Haran, and another company turned towards the border that looks down the way of the valley of the Zebion, towards the wilderness. Now there were no blacksmiths to be found throughout the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds for a shekel for the plowshare and for the mattock, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening of the axe and for setting the goads. So on that day of the battle, there were neither a sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out of the pass of Michmash. We'll stop right there for now. For you note takers out there, the first thing I want you to notice is that there was the circumstances that were given to us. We see that the Philistines are technologically superior. They have superior weapons compared to the nation of Israel. The only two people that have a sword and a spear is Jonathan and Saul. Everyone else has a sickle or an axe or a plow shaft. 
I don't want to take too much away from this. We're going to see that the nation of Israel conquers the Philistines in this battle. But they didn't do it the way the Philistines did. And we can learn that we don't fight the way the world fights. We see the consequences and we need to understand that we may be technologically outmaneuvered, have better weapons against us, but we don't fight like the world. The world fights dirty. The world fights by its own rules. The world fights by its own cause in its own way. But as Christians, we're not to fight like the world fights. And I want you to understand, even though we're talking about a physical battle, as Christians, we fight a spiritual battle. Now, right here, Saul is fighting an actual physical battle, but we find ourselves every day in a spiritual battle. And what are the circumstances that we see right here? Saul and his men are in Gibeah, while the Philistines are in Michmash. Now, if you remember last week, Saul and his men were in Michmash. So they've already lost ground to the enemy. And not only has Saul lost ground, but now the enemy is sending out raiding parties to the north, to the east, and to the west. They want to gain even more ground. As we study this book, we're going to see that they have these skirmishes and these battles that go on and on. And we need to understand every day that we fight a spiritual battle too. Matter of fact, we read in Ephesians 6.12 that, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So wake up. As a Christian, you are fighting a spiritual battle. Now, you may think you got saved and you were able to jump on a pleasure cruise when you jumped on the boat of Jesus. Let me tell you, you didn't jump on a pleasure cruise. You jumped on a battle cruiser. And we are in spiritual battle when we fight the enemy every day. And let me tell you, the enemy is sending out parties in different directions after your life. They're sending them after your children. They're sending them after your wife. They're sending them after your job. The enemy wants to destroy you, but God loves you and he's with you and he'll never leave you and forsake you if you will just make him Lord of your life. You know, one of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says that, we need to be alert and we need to be well-minded that the enemy is a devil and he prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. You're engaged in spiritual battle every single day and yet there are eternal consequences with these battles. The enemy is on the move trying to gain new ground in your life and you better be self-controlled and be alert because the enemy is coming after you to destroy you. Now, remember last week, we saw the Philistines had them outnumbered. The Israelites were outnumbered and everybody was scared. And that's what made Saul do what he did. But not only did they outnumber them, but they possessed military superiority. The Philistines controlled the technology for iron making. And so they were able to limit Israel's ability to make weapons. You know, there were no blacksmiths in Israel. So Israel had to go to the Philistines for farming equipment and repairs. And Saul's soldiers didn't even have swords or spears as they were about to go into battle. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So like I said last week, Saul and Jonathan are outnumbered and they're outgunned. This is a completely unfair fight. But I want you to pay attention. Normally this would be a problem, but it's not a problem for God when he's on your side. We're going to study this in a couple of weeks when we get to 1 Samuel 17. But do you remember what David said to Goliath right there in verse 46 and 47? He said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. 
And all those assembled here will know that it was not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saved. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. If you're a Christian today, I want to encourage you that we don't fight as the world fights. We fight with spiritual weapons. And Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, that for though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So understand that the world is not going to fight fair. It's going to use weapons that we aren't allowed to use. It's going to use violence and hatred and lies and gossip and slander and rumors. And you may think to yourself, this isn't fair. This isn't fair at all. We're outgunned. It's not a fair fight. But guess what? You're right. It's not a fair fight, but not the way you think. It's not fair because you got God on your side, which means that you have the advantage. It's not that it's unfair to you. It's actually unfair to the world. The world doesn't stand a chance against the spiritual weapons that we wield as love and prayer and faith and the gospel. We have to pull on the full armor every single day. And let me tell you, that's the first thing you need to remember. You need to get up in the morning and put on the full armor, just like we see in Ephesians 6. We need to put it on every morning. We need to walk boldly in the faith every morning. We don't need to fight like the world fights. We need to fight a spiritual battle and we'll be successful because we have an undue advantage with God on our side. So you've seen the circumstance. Now let's look at the confidence, the plan that they have. Flip the page over to chapter 14 with me. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul, who was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron, the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ajah, the son of Atab, Ichabah, brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky cage on the side and the rocky cage on the other side. The name of one was Boaz. The name of the other was Shena. The one Craig rose on the north in the front of Michmash. The other on the south in the front of Gibeah. Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his arm bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. And then John said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and will show them ourselves. And they will say to us, Wait until we come to you. Then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And we'll stop right there for now. So what we see is in the middle of all this going on, Jonathan takes action. He grabs his arm bearer and takes off on a military maneuver. Now, this is unauthorized. It's covert. It's a special op mission. Why didn't he just ask Saul first? Maybe he knew that Saul would say, no, are you kidding me? 
But whatever the reason, Jonathan has this wonderful, bold move, and we need to understand that we need to be the same way. We are in a mission today. It's not covert. We have been told, we've been given the plans. The Bible's told us that we're to go out and make disciples. And we're to fight the battle, the spiritual battle that we fight. Now you heard they were outnumbered, they were outgunned. So there's a lot that Jonathan needs to overcome to win this battle. First of all, the terrain was difficult. The pass was situated between two cliffs. One was named was Boaz, which means shiny or slippery. The other was named Sheena, which means thorny and brumble bush. There's a reason why Saul had originally camped right here at Michmash where the Philistines are. It's because it was easy to hold when if someone were to attack, it would be easy to defend. But none of this deterred Jonathan. He tells his arm bearer, come on, let's go over here. Let's go over to these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few is what it says. There's a couple of things I want you to pick up on. First, he talks about them being uncircumcised. That meant that they didn't belong to God, that they didn't have a covenant relationship with God. They were part of the world that they were battling against. God had blessed the nation of Israel, and they weren't a part of that blessing, a part of that covenant. And with this knowledge, he says that God will be with us and not against them. God with me is greater than all of them put together. And you may go, hold on, Tim. Now, let's don't get over jealous here. He said, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So Jonathan may have lacked a little bit of faith, but he was willing to trust in God no matter the result. What you're facing today, are you willing to face that with God no matter the result and what God's will is? You can go back when we studied Daniel. This is the same thing that Daniel and his friends had to do when they faced the fiery furnace. They were willing to make the stand that we will not bow down because it's against what we believe. And if you want to throw us in the fire, that's all right, because God can save us. He may choose not to, but he has the ability to save us. But I want you to catch is that faith is different from preemption. We should never presume to know God's will in a specific situation. Rather, faith is choosing to follow God no matter where it leads us. We trust that he will give us the result that he needs to have. So yeah, Jonathan may have seemed a little faithless, but I don't think so. I just think he's saying, I'm not for sure what God's will is for this, but let's go do it. And I say that because look at his next phrase. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. See, Jonathan knew that he was outnumbered. But he also knew that when God was in the picture, when God was on his side, numbers really didn't matter. God could save by many or he could save by a few. He could even save by one as the story of David and Goliath that we'll study in a few weeks. Nothing can hinder God from saving you. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Paul says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? How big is God in your life? How big is God? Is he bigger than what you face? Because the Bible tells us that he's bigger than anything. Think of the worst thing that you could face, and God's bigger than that. So we've seen the circumstances. We've seen the confidence. Now let's look at the conquest. Let's look at how he overcomes them, how the plan comes together with God's providence. So look at verse 11 with me. 
So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held at Jonathan and his arm bearer and said, come to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his arm bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them to us in the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up in his hands and his feet and his arm bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his arm bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, what Jonathan and his arm bearer made, killed about 20 men within as it were half a furrow length of an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among the people. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled and the earth quaked and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold the multitude were dispersing here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see how many have gone from us. And then they accounted, behold, Jonathan and his arm bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahi, Bring the ark of God, for the ark of God went with them a time of the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all his people were with him, rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was a great confusion. And now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even to turn with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, all the men of the Israel who were hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were fleeing, and they too followed after them into the battle, so that the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. So what happens? Just like Jonathan says, he said, if they answer and say, come to us, that means the Lord is with us, and they struck them down. And then that created a chaos inside a mishmash in that and all of a sudden Saul and them hear what's going on because they're just right down from them and so now they do a head count real quick and Jonathan and his arm bearer aren't there and so he says grab the Ark of the Covenant we'll take it with us into battle and God creates confusion and what happens the Philistines start killing one another it says in verse 20 and behold every philistine sword was against his fellow and there was great confusion god created confusion and what happens the philistines start battling themselves instead of the nation of israel and then as saul comes on the scene saul and jonathan run them out of town as the old saying goes and as the philistines are fleeing then all the other people that have gone and hidden in the caves and in the mountains they come out as well and the lord saved israel that day First thing I want you to understand is that God can create confusion against your enemy. But how do we get God? We go to him in prayer. We put on our spiritual armor. We read our Bible and we act the way the Bible tells us to. I don't know what you're facing today, but I bet it wasn't scarier than what Jonathan was facing. But he went in faith. God created the confusion. He was able to strike first. And that is true faith. True faith always results in action. In James 2.18 it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is saying we are truly saved and we have Jesus living inside of us. When we understand what Jesus did for us, then we will do good works. The faith and the salvation creates us to do work. And what James is saying here is you can't have faith without works. 
And what you need to hear from me today is that you can't separate your true faith from action. They always go together. If you truly believe that God will help you defeat whatever you're facing today, then you're willing to climb up a cliff on your hands or knees. You're willing to do what it takes to get from God and his will. But also notice that the battle is not yours. It's God's. Yes, Jonathan went with his arm bare and they attacked in faith, but it was God who gave them the victory. God sends both his divinely inspired panic and his confusion into the camp. That well-timed earthquake that just happened when it needed to happen. Saul and his men were afraid of the enemy. But now the tables have turned and guess what? They come and help Jonathan and his arm bearer out. Second Chronicles 20.15 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged for the battle is not yours but God's. And then the last thing I really want you to see because I'm already out of time is that you stepping out in faith, your action in faith will encourage others. You know, because of Jonathan's faith, Saul and his men joined the battle. Those that had run and hid in the caves, they also came out and joined the battle. Everyone came out and started fighting because of the faith in action by Jonathan and his arm bearer. When you act boldly in faith, your faith will encourage others to trust in God too. They may even ask you, what is it that gives you the ability to do what you do through a time? I saw what happened to you. How can you react and act the way you're acting and not be furious and not retaliate? But I want you to see how it wraps up in verse 23, because I think that's very important. And I want to finish with that, that the Lord rescued Israel that day. God rescued Israel through Jonathan and his action and his faith. In spite of Saul, God rescued Israel that day through Jonathan. Last week, we saw how Saul acted foolishly out of fear. But what a difference that we see in his son, Jonathan, how he acts boldly in faith and what an encouragement it should be to us in our own life when we should act in faith. We don't fight like the world fights. We are called to move forward in faith. We're called to put on the spiritual armor every day. And victory comes from the Lord. And when we understand that, God plus me is greater than anything. We'll be like Jonathan and step out in faith and in action. Today, do you understand that? If not, ask him to give you the boldness and to be able to step out in faith like Jonathan. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. Lord, again, another example of how something can go so wrong, yet you can take lemons and make lemonade out of it. We saw last week how Jonathan's father, Saul, got ahead of what he was supposed to do. He went against your word and how he did the sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to. He acted out of fear because he saw people scattering and running and he, he didn't wait on the Lord. And then we see today that this young man, Jonathan, his son, steps out and fights a spiritual battle and a physical battle. He knew that he had you on his side and that no matter what he faced, that you were greater than what he was going to face. Lord, help us understand that. I feel like there may be one today that is facing some battle they showed up today. Lord, help them understand that you're on their side and you're there with them through the storm. Even though it looks bigger than anything that they've ever faced, that you're there to comfort them, that you will not leave them nor forsake them. And the battle is yours, that they just need to dig into your word. They need to pray and they need to rest it and put it at your feet and not try to do it themselves. 
Lord, maybe there's one today that doesn't understand that. Maybe there's one that's never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they would do that. Lord, your word tells us is that if we will believe in our heart that you went to the cross and you died and you overcame death and you did that so you can nail our sin to the cross, that you were the perfect sacrifice, if that we will admit that we're a sinner, we will believe in our heart and that we'll confess with our mouth that we'll be saved. Lord, I pray today they will do that. Lord, we thank you for all you do for this ministry. And I pray that each and every one listening, that this lesson will go deep in their heart and they will understand that you with them, they're greater than anything they face. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.